Welcome back to Pandemic Pass. I'm your host, Casey Siddons, and for this second part of episode three, I sit down with Dr. Umut Ozek, first and foremost a parent, but secondly, he is also a principal researcher with, wait for it, the analysis of longitudinal data in education research program at the American Institutes for Research. Whew, that's a mouthful. Uh, he's a really smart guy, and uh, you can find him on Twitter at U-O-Z-E-K. Uh, Dr. Uzek's research interests include immigrant students, uh, the implementation and consequences of educational accountability, design and effects of school choice programs, and uh, value-added measurement. Uh, honestly, I, I, I don't think I could have found a better person to talk to as it pertains to um, what this podcast is all about, COVID education, and this particular episode, parents. Um, we talk about his experience as a parent firsthand in dealing with the pandemic at home with his own children. Um, his own children attend Fairfax County Public Schools in Fairfax County, Virginia, and with over you know 185,000 students enrolled, uh, Fairfax County Public Schools is, is actually the largest public school system in Virginia and actually the 12th largest in the nation. Um, we also chat about how he views these challenges from his various perspectives as an immigration and education researcher um, and obviously a parent. Uh, Dr. Ozek, as I, as I mentioned, he's a, he's a really bright guy and I, I was really privileged to have him join me. Um, I actually had to have him on twice because the first time I recorded the interview, something happened with technology and the interview disappeared uh, into the ether. So um, I'm so appreciative of his time and, and I hope you enjoy the chat that we have because he, he brings in a, a really great perspective to this discussion about um, how parents are dealing with this COVID uh, epidemic, this pandemic, and and how we need to really, uh, really critically think about how our parents are impacted and how they can really continue to be uh, essential stakeholders in how we improve our public education system and, and really come out of this pandemic uh, stronger. Uh, this is part two of episode three of Pandemic Pass. Thank you for joining us. This is called Pandem Parents and covid and uh, I'll see you on the other side. Dr. Ozek, uh, thank you again for joining us. Um, uh, the listeners won't know this, but we, we had to come back again because of technical issues. So I'm, it's good to see you again. Um, well, thanks for and, having me again. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, yeah. So, I'm, and one of the one of the ways in which I came to know your work is is through Twitter. Obviously, uh, in, in a good space, the, there's a lot of trolls out there, and you're not one of them. And I'm glad that you're that I found you on Twitter. <laughs> um, you shared your experiences at, with COVID as a parent trying to manage the what I'm calling the dance of going from virtual learning to in-person learning. Can you tell us about your experience? Uh, thus far and what you shared? Um, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, well, I mean, I, I can tell you a little bit about what we experienced in Fairfax County, um, where we tried to switch from um, a fully virtual uh, system to uh, a hybrid system. Uh, and this was a gradual switch, uh, starting with the kids 
most in need of in-person learning, like um, kids with special needs um, and kids in early grades, uh, kindergartners, you know, first graders, second graders. Um, so, um, I mean, this plan was, uh, uh, was, has been in place since the beginning of the fall semester. Um, so the district said, based on these health metrics, if things go well, uh, we will gradually, um, moving kids from all virtual to, um, to this hybrid system where, uh, some kids will go to school two days, a, um, two days a week. Right. Uh, uh, and then they will have two other days at home with the same teacher. Um, and they, they also gave their parents the option to, um, to choose fully virtual if they're not comfortable sending their kids to school. Um, so those were the options. And, um, you know, around mid, mid-October or so, um, they rolled out another parent survey to see if our preferences had changed since the beginning of the school year. Um, and, uh, and then obviously, um, we know what, what happened in the past couple of weeks uh, with the numbers skyrocketing in Virginia and in many other places, uh, they had to abandon, abandon this plan. Right. And, you know, in, in, the, in that tweet, what I basically mentioned was that, that difficulty, uh, or the challenges that, um, teachers, uh, kids and parents had to face. Um, because of this, um, you know, uncertainty and change of plans. And I mean, I, obviously, I'm not blaming anybody. This, uh, I mean, yeah. this is an unfortunate situation. And with the numbers going up, I don't think um, m- many parents would be comfortable sending their kids to school or teachers wouldn't sure. be comfortable going into, into the school. But I mean, um, th- th- those challenges are, for example, for kids, um, I mean, it is, there was a huge heartbreak for many kids who were hoping to um, go to school uh, right. in person and, you know, meeting their teachers in person and their friends in person. Um, and another thing was that in order to accommodate the new choices of parents, um, uh, principals and the district had to um, shuffle some students between classrooms. Yeah. And which which is a disruption, especially um, three months into the school year. Right. Um, and, and, you know, that's that's especially hard for kids in early grades where, you know, um, it's hard for teachers to understand the kids needs. And it's hard for kids to understand um, the teaching philosophy or, you know, what what's what's happening, uh, the routine. I mean, the routine is very important for all kids, but sure. this is especially true for kid, younger kids. Um, I mean, for teachers, the challenge was obviously they had to go to school, they had to set up the classrooms, they had to send, I mean, they, I, they are the unfortunate ambassadors of a broken system from yeah. top to bottom, basically. Right. I mean, they're the ones who have to deal with parents on a daily basis and deal with their complaints and issues. I mean, they, they, they um, uh, and, you know, with, uh, with all that going on, they had to go to classrooms, they had sure. to set everything up, and um, they have these new students coming in. So that was a big disruption for um, teachers as well. And, um, and for parents, obviously, especially those uh, for those who chose to send their kids um, to, um, to school for two days, um, they perhaps had to make some arrangements, new arrangements for childcare, 
maybe they had to do make some arrangements um, work-wise. Um, yeah. And with this cancellation, I mean, all those plans basically uh, had to change one more time. Yeah, and, and, and with the school district that's, what is it, 12th and largest in the nation, there's almost yes. 190,000 students. I mean, um, it seems like just a, a major shift in, in policy and practice right away. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Fairfax County is is a big district, and um, and we must also consider the fact that it's one of the wealthiest uh, counties right. uh, in, in, in uh, nationwide. Um, so the district has perhaps more resources than many other districts nationwide. Right. Um, so, I mean, it's really hard to gener- generalize what's happening here in Fairfax County to, to, um, to other places. Um, but yeah, I mean, the challenges to different degrees are, are, are everywhere. And, um, I guess the moral of that tweet was that, um, unless, um, the district is planning to switch to something that they're extremely familiar with, like right. an in-person full-time schooling, uh, it might not be worthwhile to switch to anything at this point in the school sure. year because of these all these transition costs, the, the costs associated with switching. Right. Um, and, you know, in, in our case, for example, I'm, I, I wasn't sure that it was worth sending my kid to school two days a week um, and, you know, face all these disruptions with new teachers, new right. schedules, new everything, new routines for the kids. Um, and, you know, it's, it's hard to see whether the benefits of going to school for two days a week for these kids I mean, some for some kids, you know. Uh, uh, to be honest with you, for some kids, it might be worth it. it sure. I mean, for for English learners, for example, for kids with special needs, for some kids in early grades, or maybe for some high schoolers in uh, more te- um, career technical education programs, yeah. um, they. Might, I mean, it, it might be worth going to school because they need in-person training. Right. For many. Um, I mean, switching to a hybrid system or, you know, status, status quo might be, uh, might be the best option at this point in the school year, unless you are switching to um, a full-time in person. So, and, and I think you bring up a lot of really, really relevant points in terms of the impact on, on all parties. And, you know, this particular episode is about parents and COVID-19. Mm-hmm. Uh, we know that the opportunity and achievement gaps prior to the pandemic are continuing to widen. Uh, this pandemic and, and online learning has, has certainly exacerbated these issues. With your expertise in immigration, education policy, what, what do you feel like is hurting our, our English language learner students and, and what kind of things should school systems be planning for upon our eventual return? I mean, yeah, there's a lot of challenges for English learners. One, um, I mean, uh, one is obviously um, English learners tend to come from um, uh, more economically disadvantaged families. Um, so access to instruction might uh, is perhaps a more of an issue for English learners compared to non-English learners uh, because, I mean, they might not have the uh, uh, resources to like uh, like a laptop or or a tablet or a proper um, broadband connection, um, or perhaps both parents are working, they have to work outside the home. So sure. there can be, I mean, childcare issues might, might be 
a bigger deal for these kids. So there's that. And there's also the issue of uh, language barriers, right? Mm -hmm. For these kids and their parents in terms of accessing resources in English. Um, that's another issue. And, um, and when, even when they access resources in English, you know, it's, there's the language barrier that, um, that makes it very difficult for these kids to um, obtain the education or the learning that they need. Um, right. And, you know, that's, that's one of the reasons why Fairfax County, I mean, when Fairfax County decided to gradually let uh, students back into classrooms, English learners were one of the first uh, categories that they let, uh, uh, that were supposed, that, that were supposed to go back to school. Yeah. And, and uh, I, and you, and I, you know, when students are in school, even, uh, English language learners are, are, are often found to be, uh, you know, not necessarily forgotten in schools, but certainly they feel separated and they feel that they're not part of the community. And, I, I, you know, can you speak to maybe how students who are English language learners are feeling even in even worse situation now that they're online? I mean, that's, that's, that's true because, um, I mean, one thing that benefits these students, uh, I mean, based on evidence is more personalized instruction, uh, sure. based on their levels, based on their needs, based on the, the, uh, English language deficiencies that they have, because I mean, um, it, there are different types of, uh, English. I mean, it's a, it's a process, right? Yeah. I mean, there are different, uh, components to that process. It's, it can be speaking, it can be reading, it can be um, uh, all, all these other um, issues. And um, without, uh, I mean, it's hard to identify those issues yeah. remotely. It's, it's much easier to do those things uh, for a teacher um, when they're in person. And, um, and, you know, when they identify, they can, uh, they can provide some more personalized instruction for sure. these kids i mean and, and that that's that's a, that's a big challenge for for english learners uh, and that's that's also true for special education kids yeah um and you know it, without this personalized assistance it's it's very difficult for for them in a regular classroom setting to um to get what they need and um, i mean granted teachers and districts are planning these small groups within yeah. these asynchronous learning in my in, in an asynchronous learning environment but you know we really don't know how effective these are and yeah. you know that's that's another issue right i mean that's the thing we discussed last time uh we we predict that there's an issue there <laughs> we, we feel like there's an issue but we can't really know how big of an issue these are right. um, until we observe the outcomes right um but that th th the other issue is that i mean uh, testing or st test scores uh, are you know one one of the main uh, outcomes that we use to assess where the kids are and this year it's it's more challenging i mean last year obviously many states did not have standardized yeah. testing yeah. because of issues related to covid and this year there's also the question of whether uh, states will administer these uh, tests and um, and without these tests and without these outcomes it's hard to I mean I'm not saying tests are the perfect solution but, but it's, it's a data point yeah it's a data point yeah. yes and when you use multiple data points you can come up with a more accurate uh, description of where, where the, of the kids achievement right 
And um, and without without those test scores, it's really hard to identify the issues, and it's really hard to identify the kids who need some sort of an intervention to get back on track. Right. Um, and that's also something we need to think about uh, when thinking of, when thinking about these issues and thinking about these uh, kids uh, in need. So, and and on that note, so as an educational researcher. What do you feel like, what do you think is going to be the big, as a, let's prognosticate a little bit. What do you think is going to be the the big educational research that comes out of, of these uh, school shutdowns? Oh, uh, well. (laughs) (laughs) So a little question. Uh, Yeah, it's a very loaded question. Uh, there have been so many studies coming out since, since March. Um, yeah. uh, I mean, there's, um, uh, there's this joke in academia um, about the COVID wave of COVID <laughs> studies. Like, <laughs> like, I think we are over the first wave that yeah. we passed the first peak, but I think there's a second peak coming. Um, I mean, there, there are a number of things we, we can look at uh, and we need to look at uh, to... Uh, I mean, from pra- for practical purposes too. Uh, first, we need to identify the the problem, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we need to identify the kids who were more most adversely affected by uh, by this remote learning experience and by this uh, by this pandemic. And um, then, based on that, we need to um, we need to look at our toolbox mm-hmm. to see uh, what can I mean what can we do to remedy these um, these these uh, learning losses, uh, sure. these achievement gaps, um, and um, you know the key is obviously just like I mentioned is that we need outcomes to identify right. those things, <laughs> and I mean I, sh- I should also mention that I mean uh, it's really difficult to uh, identify um, the causal effect of X, Y, or Z. Um, in this setting because there's just so much going on at the same time. Right. I mean, there's the uh, labor market, uh, the effect on the labor market, the right. uh, parents' employment, parent parental income, household income that's affected, obviously. It's hard to isolate what would be the most exactly. impactful. Exactly. Yeah. So that's there, there are a lot of uh, challenges empirically you know, yeah. in identifying, but um, even something more descriptive to at least identify the issues, uh, and then trying to come up with solutions to those issues. I mean, I think that will be very useful research uh, for next school year, for the sure. next school year. Well, you got your work cut out for you, for sure. Uh, <laughs> you got some job security. and uh, uh, Well, knock on, knock on wood. <laughs> yeah, right. right. For everybody. I, yes. uh, Dr. Ozik, uh, it was really a pleasure having you on. And, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm glad to have run into you on Twitter and online because I'm sure that we've we got to get you back on the show again at some point. Uh, and uh, we appreciate your time, certainly, for, for coming on, the, on this episode. Uh, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. It was of a pleasure. course. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us on this most recent episode of Pandemic Pass. Uh, as you probably assumed by now, this is part two of episode three, and uh, keep looking out for new episodes of Pandemic Pass to come out every single Thursday, and uh, please give us some feedback and review us. We are on Facebook, we are at edsnotdead.com, and uh, of course you can follow us on Twitter at edsnotdeadpc. 
Uh, thanks a lot and uh, tune in next week. Thank you for joining us on Pandemic Pass. Pandemic Pass is a pulp education production and was written and directed by me, Casey Siddons. Music was written and performed by Peter Craven. Thanks for listening. Be sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It helps others find us.